Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. If cash is king, our stocks trash. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Tavi Costa, Partner and Portfolio Manager at Crestcat Capital. Hi, Tavi. How are you? Good, Maggie. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the invite. I, 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 we appreciate you being here. And um, as you can tell, we took that question right from one of your recent research pieces because we loved it. And it's a really interesting one to ask, given that stocks are rallying today, even though the whole U.S. Treasury cur- yield curve is now above 4%. What did you make of today's action? Well, I'm not in agreement with markets recently as far as the rally that we've had over the beginning of the year so far, especially in technology companies. I have a long-term view that we are at peak valuations for many reasons, and I've had that view for a while. This is not uh, just uh, from today's reaction, but if I take my short-term hat off and put my long-term hat on, what I think it's going on is, is really investors have been conditioned to value assets in an environment that we're going to see another high growth, and low cost of capital decade. And I don't believe in that. I don't think we're going to see that. And if we go back through you know, prior decades and see what, which ones were those that we saw negative real return in equity markets, there are really two types of decades. One are the inflationary decades the 1910s, the 1940s, and the 1970s. And the second ones are the ones that have had very high valuations, uh, which were the 1930s and then the 2000s, uh, where you saw the tech bust, and then at the end of it, you saw the global financial crisis. Um, and today, uh, while you can argue uh, if inflation will be here for a long time or not, if it's transitory or not, I obviously have a view that uh, we will see inflation being a lot more stubborn than most people think. Uh, I also uh, would like to point out that the CAPE ratio today, or the cyclically adjusted earnings uh, PE ratio, is is really at a 29 times. And so if we look back in times, especially that we started decades with higher cost of capital, those decades have started with PE or CAPE ratios are around 15 times. At the end of those decades, we reached really uh, single digits. So can you ever imagine we going from, you know, from 29 to let's call it, you know, high single digit uh, multiples in, in the S&P 500? Now, I think that's for a lot of people is unmanageable, but I do think it's very possible just because of the fact of discount rates uh, being higher. Uh, and that is not making any adjustment or any assumptions that we may see earnings contracting, which is a huge assumption. I, you know, we're, if you look at earnings in a nominal terms, uh, we've been in a 70-year channel for the earnings per share of the S&P 500 in aggregate terms. And we're right at the upper part of that channel right now, which means we're at a critical juncture one more time at peak margins. When you have wages and salaries growing, it's starting to pressure margins to compress. 
You look at operating margins for most businesses, they're beginning to contract already below levels that we saw before the pandemic. So I'm just giving you, you know, sort of a, a thesis here where long term, it's just hard to believe we're going to sustain the same multiples that we've seen. You know, and, and in, the last, in the end of this decade, I, I just don't think we're going to see a 29 times CAPE ratio. I think we're going to see low double digits, if not single digits in this case. And that's going to be a major adjustment in reflection in prices relative to fundamentals in the future. Yeah, absolutely. There are a couple of really important things in there. And and that chart of that channel is awesome. I, I, I don't know if we're able to pull it up or not, but, but we're working on that to see if we can. So you, I think that the point that that everyone's conditioned to be in this high growth, low cost of capital, right? Money, you can access money cheaply. I feel like consumers are are feeling that. Um, and you're seeing that, especially in the car. We, I've been talking because I need to go get another car. And it's it's just shocking. You know, we just haven't been in this situation for a while. And there's been some stories out this week circulating in the press. But that, so that is, is I think, a really important point. When you talk about these negative stock conditions, it sounds, are you suggesting that both from the inflation side and the valuation side, there's trouble? So it doesn't just have to be inflation. Are we in a situation where both of those measures seem like they're stretched to you and potentially set up a problem for equity markets? I mean, the only way you can justify this, the current valuations is if we're going to see for the first time in history, uh, two back-to-back uh, strong decades of robust earnings growth. So just to put into perspective, the current earnings growth in real terms now, so let's talk real terms with inflation adjusted. Uh, if you looked at that relative to other decades, we're on pace to be at the second strongest uh, growth in over a century. And that means that the prior decade, the, 19, the 2010s, was actually the strongest that we've seen in history. And uh, the prior decades that we've had strong performance in terms of earnings growth was really the 1920s and the, and the late 90s uh, or the overall 1990s decade. And those actually end up being times as well where the, the next decade, uh, we saw a complete reversal of earnings growth where they actually contracted when we saw uh, very significant recessions in earnings in not only that, but a contraction of margins too. And so it's just hard to believe we're not going to see that. And then even if you take the valuation proposition or part of the case out of the picture and just look at the inflation picture, for instance, um, if you look at the real growth in earnings during inflationary decades, actually tends to be positive. So it's, it's in a way it's in line with what we're seeing currently. The problem is the average growth in normalized terms from the beginning to the end of the decade is about 13%, okay? And this is looking at the average growth in real terms from the beginning to the end of the decade of the 1910s, the 40s, and the 70s. And today, we have already seen over 20% of growth in the second year of the decade or third year of the decade. And so it's just hard to believe we're going to see that continue to grow over time when we have, in my view, not only the deglobalization trends, um, which is going to be forcing big changes in terms of logistics, uh, but also how we treat globally uh, balance of powers of countries and, and relationships geopolitically and so forth, 
also at a time when you have wage growth uh, like we're seeing currently in nominal and not unfortunately in real terms, but certainly in nominal terms. And that will pressure, when you see the, the percentage of labor costs relative to corporate profits today, it's actually at a historical low. And again, it's just hard to believe that in five to 10 years from now, we're not going to see a growth in that, in that measurement. In other words, companies are going to have to take a hit on uh, operating cost uh, that is likely to increase relative uh, to their other uh, bought our top line growth uh, and you know, uh, actually resulting in a compression of, of their profits as well and a contraction of, of earnings. And so I do think uh, those are all important considerations uh, that a lot of people are not uh, doing so. And, and especially uh, when you have cost of capital uh, that is starting to rise um, and uh, has been rising for a while. It was a huge part of our, our thesis uh, for some time. And I do think that it's sustainably, we don't need to see a straight line higher, but just sustainable uh, higher uh, rates in general uh, would force private equity businesses to be, have to be reflected in prices. Venture capital businesses will have to be impacted as well. And everything, every part of the economy would be impacted just because of that factor uh, on itself. And so uh, I just think that we're, <laughs> we're living in a, almost like in a la-la land uh, environment. Uh, and it's hard to believe we're going to see this in the next 10 years. Yeah. And that makes me nervous. If, if things are continuing and it's hard to find an underpinning, then you just feel like we're getting set up for something. Um, to your point on inflation, the latest U.S. Data Today release showed the number of Americans filing for unemployment down, wages up. When, when you look at that picture, how much more work do you think the Fed has to do? I mean, how high could we see rates get? Well, it, that is, a, I think, the biggest debate in the macro environment today. Some folks like to say the Fed is is being too hawkish. Some others like to say it's not being hawkish enough. My opinion is actually fairly simple. I think financial conditions are too loose for inflationary forces if they are secular. That's number one. However, they're too tight for uh, financial assets that are in my view, extremely expensive. I mean, just think about this. I mean, the earnings yield for uh, the S&P 500 or actually the Russell 1000, which is a broader metric for the equity markets, is today below Fed funds rate. Uh, so, you know, the risk premium for equity markets right now is negative. And it's not like we haven't seen that in the past. We saw that in the late 90s or so, but that was one of the biggest I guess, technological advancements and shifts we've seen in history uh, on the back of that. And still, valuations were too expensive for that environment. We saw a bust in uh, a total contraction of multiples as well. So, you know, look at corporate bonds, for instance. Corporate bond yields today, uh, especially across junks and investment grade bonds, uh, if you looked at all of those in, in average, the yield today is lower than the Fed funds rate. And that's the first time we see that in 30 years. But remember, corporate bonds have not a lot of history. We don't even know how corporate, corporate bonds are going to really behave in a high cost of capital environment because corporate bonds really go back to the late 80s and early 90s. And so those are times when interest rates have always been trending lower over the long period of time. And so 
if we start seeing sustainably higher rates, what does that mean to even default rates? You know, you look at bankruptcy numbers today, they're very low as well. Uh, and so all those delinquency rates are starting to rise. But you look at that over 20, 30, 50 years charts, they're all at historical lows still. And so uh, I think there is a lot of ramifications from uh, when you have this issue of interest rates rising. And today we've had, again, interest rates in the long end, 10-year yields back to above 4%. Now, those are all huge impacts in markets in general. So to your question initially of if the Fed has more to do, I think the bond market is, is wrong in a big way. The bond market thinks the Fed will start cutting rates here soon, when I think there is a bigger chance that inflation may, may actually reemerge here for many reasons. And one of them that I think will have to become a huge part of this narrative is going to have to be oil prices. And you look at the 10-year yields rising and copper prices rising recently, and you look at oil prices, they're lagging. And it seems to me that there's a catch-up trade there where oil needs to go higher as well. And if that happens, we'll change the inflation picture in a big way and we'll make the Fed's job a lot harder. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, and, and you know, the timing of that is going to be very interesting. I, I want to follow up on that for a second, but based on what you were saying about corporate bonds, about it, it, do you think that the Fed rate hikes we've seen so far, there's a lag and they're going to start impacting things, not only growth, but also the corporate credit market, maybe delinquencies and bankruptcies as everybody resets on those higher loans? Or do you just think it's not having an impact? No, I do think it will have an impact at some point, uh, especially, again, uh, not so much on inflation, uh, inflationary forces. Uh, when you think about uh, what we call the four pillars of inflation is, is wages, growth, is, is this chronic underinvestments in natural resources. When you look at CapEx in aggregate for most natural resource businesses is a historical lows. It's an opportunity to invest in commodities long-term as well. It created a lot of inefficiencies, but it's a secular inflationary trend. The third one is the reckless amount of fiscal spending. And that is has to do with a very large fiscal agenda from green revolution to peak inequality to revitalizing the manufacturing plan of the world in terms of developed economies. And the fourth one is the deglobalization trends. Uh, so all those issues are playing a big role into the inflationary forces. Um, but uh, go, go back. What was your question again? Well, I just is there a lag and, oh, and yeah. we just haven't seen that impact yet? Or is it just not working because of some of the issues that you laid out? Is it just not enough? I mean, they, are they operating off the right framework? They're kind of using the old model, right? We raise rates, we slow growth, we bring down inflation. But we really haven't seen that. If anything, we, we see things after a pause, and it seemed like it was going that way, reaccelerating now. So yeah. is it just the lag we're waiting for, or is the framework broken? No, I, I do think it's going to happen. I just wanted I, I wanted to go on that tangent of, of inflation, but I wanted to go back and tie back to your question. And it's because, you know, financial conditions are getting too tight for, for, for financial assets that are expensive. And most of them are high duration assets. Um, I do think we're going to see issues very soon. 
I think Simzel uh, uh, said something that I, I it really resonated to uh, to me and, and to this whole thesis, which has to do with one thing is to take interest rates from zero to four percent, and the second thing is when you go from four to six percent range, which is certainly where we are currently, and you start seeing some some issues uh, emerging. And I think we're yet to see a lot of those. I mean, credit spreads are very tight. Um, depending on how you look at, if you look at the overall uh, corporate bond market, we're currently uh, sub two percent in the difference between uh, spread of of yields where you get from corporate bonds relative to where uh, the long end of 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 the treasury market is in terms of yields. And so, you know, things are really really pricey in many fronts. And so it's it's just hard to believe we're not going to see some sort of uh, some sort of issues and even a credit event at some point uh, caused by this rise of interest rates. Uh, interest rates also, if you looked at the corporate market as a whole in terms of total debt to uh, to assets ratio, uh, is today not a historical and uh, not a, a record levels, but certainly a historical levels uh, relative to history too. Here, as far as uh, all the way back to the 30 to the, uh, the 1990s and so forth, and so. To me, those those are going to have to have an impact at some point. Um, there are opportunities to money managers are able to uh, look for those inefficiencies in markets right now that are yet to reflect that. I think that the biggest one, if you would ask me, would be the mega cap stocks. Mega cap stocks are probably the best reflection of what is a high duration asset currently that is basically uh, pricing in, you know, the same growth that we had over the last decade for the next decade. And some of those, those businesses are either facing major competition currently, or uh, they just too big. They're just hitting an exhaustion point. Um, they're basically the economy. If you looked at just the size of those businesses relative to GDP, uh, even at times like we saw, like in the tech bus, for instance, we're way higher levels. And so and I just can't imagine there's a lot of room for growth in terms of earnings uh, to justify the current multiples. I mean, just looking at the top five companies in S&P today, they're trading at about 27, median 27 times earnings, 27. Uh, if you look at the top 10 companies, they're trading at about 25 uh, times earnings. And so, uh, and you can extrapolate that. You can use earnings from 2023 uh, in the 2023, in the 2024, in the 2025, and all those looks look very frothy. Those are multiples that you put on a scenario that you're seeing very low cost of capital and high growth. Mm. Is that what we're going to see? I mean, I, I don't think so, especially after already crossing this, you know, four to six percent range of the Fed funds rate, where I think we're yet to see the impact of that. So, yeah, I do think that there's a lot of lagging impacts, and uh, we're yet to see those. Yeah, waiting for that shoe to drop. We have a question from Abir. Speaking of mega mega cap uh, tech stocks, uh, they say, hi, Tavi, listen to your podcast with Coach Dale Pinker back in December when you were quite bearish on Apple. You were talking about levels below 120. Is this still the case? And if yes, Apple at or below 120 will drag SPY to lower levels than last year's lows. Will it drag? Um do you are you still bearish on Apple? And are you surprised that when we saw that rally in the beginning of the year, it all went back into tech stocks? I'm not crazy surprised about the rally just because of I think that the degree of the rally was surprising. Um, we just had the largest 
decline for the 60-40 portfolios, uh, likely one of the largest in history, if not the largest in history, the combined decline of both in the year of 2022. So you would expect some portfolio repositioning at the beginning of the year. Now, the degree of it was certainly more than I thought. Um, Apple is uh, probably or our largest position right now on the short side. Uh, I would say junk bonds is even larger currently. Uh, and we also have a big short position in Microsoft. Um, Microsoft is even interest, more interesting from the perspective of just putting on a standpoint of, of comparing a market cap of one company that is larger than the entire market cap of the energy space in the S&P 500 today. So market cap of, uh, of Microsoft is about 1.8 trillion. If you aggregate 23 stocks that are in the energy space in, in S&P today, uh, you're going to find that it's about $1.6 trillion of market cap. So one company is larger than 23 companies. And the next question is, all right, what's the fundamentals look like? The fundamentals actually for Microsoft is generating about $60 billion in annual free cash flow. ExxonMobil by itself is generating that today. And I understand the next question for most people would be, well, but is that sustainable for most of those energy companies? Well, that's a good question. I do think that the terminal rate for most of those energy companies in terms of a lot of folks uh, thinking that those companies will be out of business in five to seven years, that view, in my opinion, is, is very incorrect. Um, but that's just my opinion, and that's why we're long energy stocks. Um, yeah, now, I want to I want to ask about that. So if you look at the inflation picture, it, it's, there's very something very interesting going on. So in this in this latest installment, this week's latest installment of Steno Signals, Andreas talks about the wave of service inflation that's making its way around the world. Let's have a look, listen to that clip, and we'll talk on the other side. If we look at inflation through the month of March. I think the most interesting story right now is how inflation is spreading from the US to other countries globally. We've had terrible inflation numbers out of Europe just this week, um, basically showing that the wage-driven service inflation is on the up, um, running at almost 1% month over month right now, which would mean annualized inflation uh, above 10%, obviously, if we replay uh, such price increases a month in and month out over the coming months. Uh, I think this is a signal that the service inflation that we've seen in the US over the past two, three decades is slowly but surely spreading, first of all, to Europe, but now also slowly but surely to Japan. If we look at the typical lag between service inflation in the US, and Europe, you would expect in between five and six months of lag time. While if you look at the lag between services in the US and in Japan, you should expect in between 10 and 11 months of lag time. So it essentially means that all of the service inflation that we've already seen in the US will likely slowly but surely show up elsewhere over the course of the next couple of quarters. That full interview is available on our website. Just scan the QR code and join our community. It's less than a Netflix subscription, folks. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Um, so, Tavi, Andres is looking at this surge in service inflation, and you're keeping an eye on the commodity market. And I believe you said earlier you think oil might be lagging a little bit here and also ready to make a rebound. Is that right? 
Well, I think he's right about looking at the components of, of inflation. I think those are all important ways of measuring and seeing what's happening. And it's undeniable that inflation has been decelerating over the next months. I mean, it's, you know, it's factually correct. I mean, if every single, uh, I would say most of the inflationary indicators across the globe have been decelerating. But it, although this is an important part of it, the second part of it is, is that sustainable? Are we going to see uh, a further decline to levels like even the Fed, the Fed's target for inflation, uh, supposedly? And that's not my view. I, I think that it's important to look at the, the commodities market is an important aspect of it because we are still seeing uh, structurally very tight supply for most commodities. And yes, you can pick and choose them and say that some of them are actually uh, more abundant when it comes to uh, to uh, to supply, and also uh, the the capex curve is very different. In other words, uh, the capability of increasing your capital spending has a reflection in the supply market of that commodity much quicker than others. But when you see the mining space, metals and mining, energy space, things in most of those actually look still very tight. Oil is a great example. If you just look at a number of rigs operating uh, recently, uh, we just had a decline, and a monthly decline, actually, uh, that it was the largest in two and a half years. So companies are not in, on a rush to really uh, increase production anytime mm -hmm. soon. Um, so, you know, that just 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 another sort of structural force uh, for commodities that is, in my view, uh, likely to uh, reaccelerating prices and cause the inflation issue to reemerge. So yes, I acknowledge that there are some issues uh, with some parts of the inflation metrics that are still uh, accelerating and likely to continue to accelerate. Uh, the service component and still is is something that is being shown to be very stubborn. Um, and look, I come from an emerging market. I've come from Brazil, where we lived in decades and decades with. Uh, issues with inflation. The biggest cause of that is the, the depreciation of a currency that causes cost of living to always be very high and the reliance on import prices from countries that are emerging markets in, in most cases. Believe it or not, even though they're commodity exporters, they still have uh, an issue with import prices. And what I found is that uh, inflation infiltrates the system in a way uh, that is really difficult to get rid of. In developed economies, we just haven't seen that here for many, many decades. And I think a lot of policymakers uh, are just not used to how to behave with this. If you just look at the fiscal spending we're seeing today, in inf just inflation adjusted all the way back uh, to the 70s and compare what we're spending now to the peak of spending of the 70s, we're basically doing the same that we saw at the worst times of the 70s. In other words, uh, in the 70s, there was a general sense from most policymakers that fiscal spending creates inflation. Today, I'm not sure that's the case. And so, uh, and knowing that the agenda is getting larger and larger, well, there's a green revolution. We got to go green. Uh, we got to come back and bring things on shore. We can't have this, this dependency on the Chinese economy anymore or Taiwan. Manufacturing has to go back to the U.S., well, there's a peak inequality issue now, too. Well, uh, how do we do that? Well, there's a, a, a social uh, net that we, we got to build. So we got to provide capital for most people. There's some people mm. that don't have jobs and they have. Uh, so they provide some sort of uh, social program for those guys. And so, you know, those things in collection combine 
are all uh, having an impact on fiscal spending that is likely to stay high for uh, for longer. And so that's going to have an impact on issuances of treasuries. Who is buying treasuries today? If foreign central banks are not buying that, well, that's going to have an impact on supply and demand uh, 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 dynamics. And so it creates upward pressure on cost of capital. And so things are changing. This is not the world that we saw 10 years ago. And I still think there's some parts of the market, not everything, but some parts of the market, corporate bonds, mega caps, the overall equity market in the U.S., even uh, private equity businesses, all those parts need to be reflected to this new world that we're entering. That's a great way to sum up everything that we've been talking about. So what do you like here? Let's 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 flip it in that environment in the scenario you just laid out, which is the takeaway. <laughs> what what do you like here? What do you do? Well, I like a lot of things that are related to tangible assets. I like a lot of things that worked during inflationary eras. I like a lot of things that worked during times when you had peak valuations. And those are usually not only profitable businesses, but also businesses that are related to commodities. And there are two buckets of those. Majority of what we've been mostly focused has been uh, in metals and mining, because that's really our niche. We've been finding that there's a lot of inefficiencies not only on the prices of most of those businesses, but really on parts of those businesses. So exploration businesses today are really cheap relative to what we think they have in terms of of new reserves uh, and new deposits of those minerals. So minerals that are really, really rich and scalable uh, for most of the majors to be uh, potential acquisitions for those, or maybe potential new companies, new new Newmonts, new new, uh, barracks, uh, that we may see uh, emerge here in an, in the following years. So that has been most of our focus is is, fo- is basically creating a hybrid uh, venture capital approach and investing in a lot of natural resource businesses that are mostly in exploration in the exploration side, uh, which I think are the best opportunities currently in terms of asymmetry. Energy stocks look really attractive as well. They're still very cheap. We recently had a pullback in most of those prices especially the mid-cap names that are uh, producing, and we did a back test on this as well. Uh, there are companies that are paying a lot of, uh, or providing capital back to shareholders through dividends and buybacks. But that also, in terms of backtesting those names, you wanna be invested in the companies that are aggressively investing in their projects, that are trying to create better acreage uh, with higher quality assets, that are increasing production, Those are the businesses that are returning better in terms of stock performance. And that's where our focus has been. Um, And I would say the third one that is a little out of the box here uh, is Brazilian assets. I'm from Brazil and I've never been bullish on Brazil. I've been the biggest skeptic person you can find uh, for, you know, being a very corrupted place. And I know other places are corrupted too, uh, but I've always had issues, you know, getting uh, around that, those, those, those imbalances. And, uh, currently, I've seen that the, the commodity market is very thin and small. And if we're going to see a large allocation from, from, from institutions and ca- large capital allocators coming into the space, it's hard to believe they're not going to spread their wings around all possibilities and alternatives. And the Brazilian market is really cheap. And it's one market that is uh, very exposed to not only agricultural commodities, energy, metals and mining. And so to me, it's one place where uh, investors can find uh, also some some asymmetry. Uh, You can even go deeper and look for the banks. The Brazilian banks today in terms of multiples are the cheapest in history. So 
multiples in terms of fundamentals mm. uh, in, in Brazilian assets, not emerging markets, not all emerging markets, but really Brazilian assets. I could go into that too, but uh, is, is where I think there's some attractive opportunities as well. That I, I love a point you made, the point you just made, because I really don't think anyone has, has been that specific when we're talking about Brazil. And it is just that if you get inflows, and, and by the way, we have heard this, as our viewers can attest to, even just this week, we have heard this commodity theme, metal theme, mining theme, as we look out at the uncertain future, but it's just not, there's not enough destination for all those funds you're saying in the commodity market because the thinness, so you've got to think about how else to play that. Such an interesting concept. Clearly, Tavi, we're going to have to have you on to dive into that Brazil story. We could do a half an hour on just on that as we wrap up here. So we did the takeaway from the threats or, or the sort of things you worry about. You just gave us a great wrap up once again of the upside of the things that you like. When we're talking about the metals and mining, you want, you sounds like you're doing a deep dive. Rick Rule and I had a conversation about this. Rick's on next Friday. We'll revisit it uh, about um, as you go down the risk profile. So the big ones, the ETFs, you know, if you're more of a traditional low risk investor, as you start to get more specific in maybe the next new months, that's going to take a level of expertise. Um, do you guys have a fund where you're doing that that's available to the public? And then if if you're not of that risk tolerance, do you still think a broader ETF is a good way to go if you like that space? I think the overall space looks cheap, but the largest inefficiencies and big, uh, biggest asymmetries in terms of potential for returns, I do think it's an exploration space. And the industry is basically broken down into producers, developers, and explorers. And I would say that explorers is most of the billionaires in the industry made their money in exploration. But the problem is the more you go deep into exploration, the more geology knowledge you need. Mm -hmm. And this is not only a capital trend. We've had a, a decline of, of allocation of capital towards commodities, but also a problem with labor. And so mm -hmm. there is a lack of geologists in the space that really understand yeah. uh, and can discern those good and bad uh, opportunities in that part of the market. And so to us, this is really where most of the opportunities are. You can find companies that have uh, been increasing the probability of finding major discoveries and they're still trading for nothing. And so we just created a portfolio of all those businesses. So we created a fund that is only tackling that as, a, as, a, as one uh, way of expressing that view. Uh, and we hire a geologist and mm -hmm. we have now a team working with us and that's really how we've been selecting those investment opportunities. It, that's so that's so interesting. And uh, this is what I love about having the conversations on Real Vision, because we've got a thread throughout this, if you're interested in this conversation, because not only do I talk to Rick about it, we're going to talk next week, bring your questions. We're doing him for the extended, and he'll grade your portfolio on metals and mining. But also Mike Green in My Life in Four Trades tells a really interesting story about one of his worst trades, which was in copper, and some of the things you need to be aware of in terms of risk. So thank you for laying that out, Tavi. We're out of time. I can't believe it. This has been such an interesting conversation. We'll have to have you back for an extended hour. It'll be a pleasure to be oh, back. Thanks for having <laughs> fantastic. me. Fantastic. And if you are um, happen to be going, there's a big commodities conference happening in Toronto. Is it Toronto, right, Tavi? That's right. Yeah. That that Tavi's going to be presenting at and we'll be there. So if you happen to be going, any of our Canadian friends, you can track them down there and, and have a word. But we appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tavi. Thanks for having me.
We are going to be back same time tomorrow with that extended daily briefing. Uh, hit the QR code and become a member so you can stay for the whole thing and also join us on the learning journey we are all on. So thanks so much, everyone. Great questions, great conversation. Until next time, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.